Thank you, Jim and Bonnie, for that ministry and music. You'll take your Bibles with me now and turn to John chapter 13. Our scripture reading for this evening will be beginning at verse 33 and going through John 14, verse 6. So John chapter 13, beginning at verse 33 through chapter 14, verse 6. John chapter 13, beginning at verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you, also, you, may, all, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God bless the preaching of his word. Tonight we are in a very, very familiar portion of Scripture. There's always a danger when you're in a familiar portion of Scripture, and that is to think, well, I know what this says, and quickly move on. Now, one of the reasons we are doing the series on Sunday night about favorite or memorable verses in the Bible, do want to look at very common verses, but uh, try to look at them in some fresh ways, and understand why they are so common and why they are so beneficial and helpful. Our passage tonight is, again, very familiar. I've used it a number of times at funerals and even spoke on it on other occasions. But I hope that we bring a freshness this evening as we look at this particular passage. Our passage centers upon the discourse that Jesus had with the disciples the night before he was crucified. So it is very appropriate that we look at this passage tonight before we celebrate uh, Good Friday, Christ's death on the cross, uh, tomorrow. Our text of chapter 14, verses 1 to 6, comes immediately upon the heels of Jesus' disclosure to his disciples of the significance of the events that are about to occur. In John 13, 33, he said, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And then in John 13, 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Of course, he is speaking of his death, 
um, they are not sure about what Jesus is saying. He said, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. This statement was troubling to the disciples. It was troubling for two reasons. First, it was troubling because they didn't fully understand it. They didn't really grasp its complete meaning. And so they were pondering it. They were wondering what Jesus was saying. Why not come out and say it clearly? Jesus, what are you talking about? And secondly, it was troubling that Jesus was going to go away and they could not go with him immediately. For this would be the first time that they really were absented from Jesus. Oh, they would part for maybe a day or two or some particular events, but this was a time of Jesus' leaving them. So Jesus gives to his disciples words of comfort to ease their troubled hearts. John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. When it states, let not your heart be troubled, it's not saying, don't allow your hearts to become troubled. Or the force in the original language is rather, don't allow your hearts to continue to be troubled. He's talking about how to calm their fears, how to remove their anxiety, how to deal with their doubts, how to deal with their anguish. He is giving them a remedy for their troubled spirit and their soul. Find rest or relief for your troubled hearts. We should not find it odd that oftentimes our hearts are troubled. They are troubled for many different reasons on different occasions because of the circumstances, the events that we have. They raise doubt, uncertainty, anxiety, worry, fear, all kinds of responses. We should not be surprised. And to have a troubled heart is not in and of itself sinful. In John chapter 13, verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Jesus was troubled. It's the exact same Greek word. He's telling his disciples, don't be troubled. And yet Jesus himself is troubled. So we find out that to be troubled is, again, not sinful, it's understandable, but there is a remedy for the troubled heart, and especially in the context of our passage. And that is the comfort that we are to have even when our hearts are troubled as we contemplate death, dying, our own death, and the death of our loved ones. That's a difficult time to go through. It's easy for our hearts to be heavy, to be laden, to be curious, doubtful, wondering what happens next. The fears of hearing that you have an incurable disease. Your mind goes to 
What's it going to be like after I die? You may even have questions about the reality of you're going to be in God's presence or not. And I say to the children tonight, you know that if you were to die, you would be in God's presence. How can you know that? How can you keep your heart from being troubled? Well, Jesus provides four things to believe about Jesus to comfort us in respect to death and dying. Four remedies for a troubled heart. The first remedy for a troubled heart is to believe that we can have the same confidence in Jesus that we have in God the Father. Notice verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. As we break this verse down into parts, it's important that Jesus calls us to have faith, trust, or belief. It's one thing to know facts. It's even still another to reflect upon those facts, to try to keep them in mind, the, the forefront of your, of your thoughts. Jesus doesn't simply say, when you are troubled, I want you to think about some things. It's more than meditation. It's more than reflection. He calls upon them to believe, to believe, to embrace, to trust, to have confidence. And the first thing that he calls us to have confidence in is himself. For it says in verse 1, believe in God, believe also in me. As we think about belief or faith, it's easy to look at belief and faith as something that either we have or we don't have. Now it is true when we speak about conversion, there is before we believe and there is after we believe. But Belief is a, a continual action. It is an ongoing trust. And belief is manifested in degrees. We can grow in our faith. We can grow in our trust, in our commitment to the Lord. So when Jesus is saying to his disciples, believe in me, he's not calling them to conversion. They've already said that he's the Christ, the Son of God. They already have expressed their faith and trust in Jesus. He's saying to them, you need now to trust me even more. Even more. An important way to increase our faith is to pray for more faith. You know, what... We can talk ourselves, we can, we can reason with ourselves, we can argue with ourselves about our doubts, our uncertainties, and we can even chide ourselves and say, well, I shouldn't feel this way, I know better, I know what the Word of God says, why do I still doubt, why do I have these fears, why do I have these concerns? Well, faith isn't something that you can just conjure up yourself. And it isn't a state of mind that you can argue yourself into. Now, faith does come from the Word of God, so, so there certainly is a rationality to our faith. I'm not de denying that, but what I'm saying to you is the most helpful way to increase our faith is simply to ask God for greater faith. In Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can, 
All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child called out and said, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. I know that's my testimony many times. Oh, I believe. Oh, Lord, help my unbelief. I believe, but I have a hard time always trusting, to always have confidence, to have a, a peace in every situation, even though I know Jesus is my Savior, and even though I believe in Jesus, I need to learn to trust him more. In Luke chapter 17, verse 5, the disciples said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. So one of the things I would say tonight is that is a very helpful way to deal with a troubled heart. To ask God to increase our faith. And most significantly, we need an ever-increasing faith or trust in Jesus. Notice in verse 1, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. But now I want to emphasize the object of the belief. Belief in God, and then believe also in me. Why is Jesus making a distinction between himself and God? After all, he is the very embodiment of the Godhead, the second person of the Trinity. And there would be those that would jump on this verse and say Jesus is distinguished himself. He's not deity. He is not God. That's not at all what Jesus is saying in this verse. Rather, what he is doing is comparing himself with God the Father. For he says... Believe in God, and he's referring to God the Father. And then he says, believe also in me. Thus, in actuality, equating himself with God. He is saying, you need to have the same faith in me that you place in God the Father. That's not a lesser God. That is a God to which he is equal. You see, we have faith, we have trust, we have confidence in God the Father. Jesus is saying, now you need to express that very same confidence in me. We know that God the Father will not fail us. We have to also know that Jesus will not fail us. Not one of us here tonight would have the audacity to say, believe in God, believe also in me. That you can rely on me, you can trust in me, you can have confidence in me in every single way that you have confidence in God the Father. You know he won't fail you. You know he's omnipotent, you know he's omniscient. You know you can trust him for everything. Now Jesus says, you trust me that way. You need to have that confidence in me. so that your heart is not troubled. And I would say to you, even practically, today, with all the theology we have, all the years that have passed, all the 
times we've read our Bible, etc. Do you have the same confidence in Jesus that you have in God the Father? In your own mind, I know theologically we will say Jesus is equal with God. I don't have any problem with that. I think probably we're all there theologically, but I'm asking practically. Do you have doubts about Jesus? Well, the way to a heart that is not troubled is to have the same trust in Jesus that we have in the Father. A.W. Pink writes, and I quote, their confidence in Jesus had to extend beyond the opportunities that were then present to be his companion on a daily basis, to freely interact with him and have their faith strengthened as time and time again they witnessed his miracles, heard the wisdom of his teaching, and were blessed by his daily care and comfort, end quote. There were interactions that were not going to be taking place. He was not going to be with them. Jesus was going away. They had to believe that Jesus would continue to watch over them, protect them, forgive them, provide for them. It was not simply believing truths about Jesus, it was trusting in Jesus himself, that these truths were true and that he was going to do what he said he would do. It's the belief and not the acquaintance with the facts that bring us comfort. So we should not be surprised when our hearts are troubled, but rather we should be prepared to respond when our hearts are troubled. That is, believe in Jesus and ask God to increase our faith and trust in Jesus. The second remedy to a troubled heart is to believe that by means of Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus is going away to guarantee that we have a place in heaven. The place where Jesus is going to is referred to his father's house in verse 2 in my Father's house. A.W. Pink writes again, and I quote, the glories and blessedness of heaven are brought before us in the New Testament under a variety of representations. Heaven is called a country, Luke 19, 12. This tells us of its vastness. It's called a city, Hebrews 11:10. This intimates the large number of his inhabitants. It's called a kingdom in 2 Peter 1:11. This suggests its orderliness. It's called paradise in Luke 23, 43. Revelation 2.7, this emphasizes its delights. It's called the Father's house, which speaks its permanency, end quote, or I would say intimacy. Dwelling in the Father's house. And there is room in God's, the Father's house for us. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms, John 14, 2, King James. In my father's house are many mansions. I think that that gospel song has not done us a huge favor. It says, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. I think we have this view of a bunch of standalone mansions and that there's this heavenly suburbia in which each of us have our own little part of heaven marked out and you have your mansion, I have mine and maybe we come and visit each other and all kinds of things, I don't know. But it's important that even in the King James it is saying in my father's house are many mansions. And so the ESV is right when it translates it rooms. The 
King James is trying to bring out either its luxuriousness, these are fabulously appointed rooms, but more likely the spaciousness. When you think of mansions, you think of big places. And the emphasis is, there's more than enough room for you. More than enough room. The purpose of Jesus going away was in order to make ready a place for them to be with him and the Father. He is securing a place to live with God the Father and Jesus. Notice at the end of verse 2. I'll start with the beginning. In my Father's house are many rooms, if we're not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. What's involved in preparing the place is not described in full. It's simply connected with his going away. But of course, we know that it involves the purification of the holy place. We know that it involves the sacrifice for sin. We know it involves the high priestly work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the emphasis is that he is making it a place where we will be. He's making ready a place for us. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept, or some translations say reserved, in heaven for you. Jesus has made a reservation for us. So often, I hear the gospel presented in such a way that Jesus has provided a way, an opportunity. He didn't provide an opportunity. He secured our salvation. He achieved his purpose on the cross and in his resurrection. He didn't make it possible so that maybe you can go to heaven. No, he prepared the place so that where we are, we will be with him. No doubt about it. He came to save a people and he saves them. Jesus did not die simply to make it possible for us to go to heaven. Jesus died so that we would be going to heaven. So the application is they had to believe that Jesus was going away was not his abandoning them. It wasn't because he was fed up with them or he just wanted to be away from them. He he needed a break. No. It wasn't something that they had done in terms of turning him off. In fact, the beginning of this night we are told in the scriptures that having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. He loved them unto the uttermost. His going away was not an abandonment of them, but rather it was for their benefit and well-being. But isn't it so often that even in the midst of our own trials and difficulties, we see them as a token of perhaps he doesn't love me anymore. Perhaps I'm going through this because I'm not in a right relationship with God. Maybe he hasn't really forgiven me my sins. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Well, the remedy for a troubled heart is to know that our sins are forgiven through Christ.
And all that he does is for our well-being, including the afflictions and the hardships and the difficulties. Even when we may feel abandoned, we are never abandoned. I will never leave you nor forsake you is his promise. And so we can trust Jesus that that is true. He will never leave us or forsake us. Even when we might feel that he has, we need to trust what he says, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. The third remedy for a a troubled heart is to believe that Jesus is returning to take us to be with him. Jesus will not merely send for us. Jesus will personally come for us. Look at verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is Jesus' personal commitment to his disciples and by extension to us, his people. That is, he is coming back for us. He's not even sending an angel. He's coming himself. And he promises that he will take us to be with him. That where he is, we will be also. He will personally take us to the place where we are going to dwell. The disciples are concerned that they don't know the way. You don't know the way, he'll take you there. You don't have to worry about getting lost. You don't have to worry about a GPS. You don't have to worry about obstacles on the way. For he, our shield, our defender, our triumphant king, will come and will take us where he is. Those for whom he has made a place, he will return for them and take them to be with him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we always be with the Lord. He's coming back. He's coming back to take us to be with him. And the fourth remedy for an upset or troubled heart is to believe that we know the truth of how to get to be with God the Father and with Jesus. John 14, 4, and you know this way to where I am going. John 14, 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, you know the way. They said, how do we know the way? Notice his response, verse 6. I'm the way. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. You don't have to have a theological degree. You don't have to be able to plan out all of the future events and all the soteriological issues and You don't have to be able to answer every question about the book of Revelation. All you need to know tonight is 
that Jesus is the way. Trust in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. A child can trust that Jesus is the way to the Father. That Jesus will take them there. That Jesus has provided a place for them there. That Jesus has secured a place for them today. So I say to the youngest one in this room, if you're scared of dying, and you wonder what happens after you die, if you trust in Jesus, if you believe that he is the way, you'll be with him in a wonderful place, experiencing his blessings. Believe that Jesus is the way. Secondly, Jesus has told us the absolute truth. John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth. Earlier he said, if it were not so, I would not have told you. He doesn't lie. You can trust Jesus. Jesus speaks the absolute truth, even as God the Father speaks the absolute truth. There are many that will tell us other things about what happens after we die, and people will talk about other ways, and there are all kinds of things that people will try to persuade us upon. What we need to keep in mind is that what Jesus says is the truth. He's the way. And he is the how to get to heaven. Verse 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth. And then he says this, I'm the life. I'm the life. Life is found in me. He is the source of physical life. He rose again from the dead. That's a future event for the disciples. They were told about it, but they had not yet experienced it. We're going to celebrate it on Easter Sunday morning. Jesus came physically, bodily from the dead. We will sing the great hymn, Jesus lives and so shall I. Death is banished, gone forever. You will have physical life after you die. One day, your body is coming forth out of the grave. In the meantime, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Your spirit goes to be with him immediately upon your death. Your body goes to the ground. When Jesus Christ returns, our bodies are raised. And we will be with him forever and ever. He is the source of physical life. He's the source of spiritual life. He is the source of eternal life. Jesus, though he were dead, is alive. He rose bodily from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He went there to make a place for us, and he's returning to take us there. It is through Jesus and Jesus alone that we come to the Father. Verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. The question tonight is not, have you done enough? The question is not, have you lived faithfully for Jesus? The question is not, did I 
do enough, paint enough, give enough, witness enough. That's not the way. The way is through Jesus. Jesus made the way. Jesus secured our place in heaven. Jesus is going to return personally to take us to be with him forever and ever. So Jesus says to his disciples and he says to us, is your heart troubled? Just believe in me. Just trust in me. Take your eyes off of yourself and take your eyes off your circumstances and just trust me. Trust me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And may we trust him more and more and more. May our faith increase. Pray that God would increase your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. We believe. Help our unbelief. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that we can have complete trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus, that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here tonight who has never placed their faith and trust in Jesus and him alone, as the way for their entrance into heaven, that, Lord, tonight would be that night in which they don't look at themselves and their works, but they look at Jesus, who died on the cross to pay for our sin, who rose again victoriously over sin and death, conquered, ascended to the right hand of God the Father, who went to make a place for us, who will come again and Receive us unto himself. I pray if there's anyone here tonight who has never asked Jesus to be their Savior, that they would place their faith and trust in him tonight and know that in trusting in him, they have everlasting life with God the Father. Lord, bless this communion to our hearts and minds. And I pray, Lord, as we partake of communion, and maybe it's not that we're troubled about death or that we're troubled about salvation, but maybe our hearts are troubled about other things tonight. Lord, help us to trust in Jesus, who's promised to care for us, protect us, provide for us, and keep us. He will not fail us. We can trust in him exactly the way we trust and God the Father. He will be faithful to us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll ask the brethren to come forward tonight to uh, serve communion. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to participate. If you do not, we ask that you refrain, not because of any rule or regulation that we have, but because of what Jesus taught us in the New Testament. But let me just say, there's no reason why in the quietness of your own heart you can ask Jesus to be your Savior at this very moment. And having prayed and asked Jesus to be your Savior, you don't have to even pray out loud.
Uh, just pray and ask Jesus to be your Savior. And if you do, you're welcome to partake of communion with us this evening.